Peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We go to Florida from time to time, which you might know. Uh, we go to a place on the Atlantic coast, and so when we drive down there, you really can't avoid Atlanta, at least not very easily. And the first time I drove down, I, I had to, of course, go through Atlanta, and I had heard nightmare stories about the traffic. Uh, which were only fueled by a couple years ago, if you remember that snowstorm and people were stuck on roads for like hours and hours. And so as I drove down into Atlanta the first time, I, I, I was afraid of getting stuck in traffic, especially in downtown, and I saw a sign as you kind of come down out of the, the mountains of Tennessee and Georgia, down into the Atlanta area, there was a sign, and it said, 285 Bypass. And I was excited because that meant that I didn't have to get stuck in the traffic of downtown. It meant that I didn't have to go right through the city. So, of course, what I did, headed out onto the bypass. Having heard all those nightmares, I wanted to save myself the pain and suffering of going through this middle-of-the-city traffic. GPS in years since then has made this much easier. You know, we have our phones now, and uh, you can save yourself the pain and suffering of traffic all the time. Because even if there's no bypass, our GPSs will make one. It'll make us a way around the pain and suffering of traffic. And it's not just really on the roads that this has started to happen. You can skip all kinds of stuff now. Pay a little bit of money and you can skip the pain and the suffering of the uh, security line at the airport. In fact, you don't even have to go, uh, you don't have to even stand in line at the grocery store anymore. You can skip that by doing curbside. Especially since COVID, there have been all kinds of things that we've learned faster ways to do them and ways to skip some of the pain and suffering of being out among people or in traffic or something like that. And we seek to do that more and more. But the reality is, we can't bypass pain. We've been trying to do that for many, many more years than we found all these other solutions. In fact, for hundreds of years, as, you know, Stoic German Lutherans. We've been trying to bypass our pain, sort of pretend like it doesn't exist. And as Americans, we have all kinds of sayings that, that lead us to do exactly that. In fact, they glorify exactly that. We say stuff all the time like, look, every cloud has a silver lining. So really all you have to do, right, what we imply is all you have to do is look for the silver lining and everything's okay. One of my favorites is toughen up buttercup. I've used that one a time or two. Or uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Because that's what we're supposed to do. Pull ourselves up by our bootstraps because after all, when the going gets tough, say it with me, the tough get going, right? That's how we think. And really those all end up being ways that we can avoid or bypass or press down our pain and suffering. And so it seems really strange, probably. When we read Psalm 6 and we hear David saying stuff like this, this is verses 6 and 7. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. They grow weak because of all my, fo all my foes. You know, you hear those words and you're kind of like, man, you're sort of a downer, David. Buck up. You know, you're king of Israel after all. In fact, maybe it'd be helpful if he knew our favorite scripture verse. God helps those who help themselves, right? 
as you probably already know, that's not in the Bible. That's Ben Franklin. And not only is it not in Scripture, it's a very unscriptural way to speak. In fact, if anything, the Lament Psalms tell us exactly the opposite, but that's something that we like to hold on to because pretending like we're tough means that we can bypass pain. We can push away those emotions that, that David talks about here in Psalm 6. Now, that's not to say mental toughness is always a bad thing. In fact, Kim Markshausen wrote this article in the LEA, the Lutheran Educators Association magazine, of I think it was last month. It was on lament. It was on what we're talking about. And it was a great article. And what she said was, that stuff can be really useful, especially when we find ourselves in crisis mode. You know, we all found ourselves kind of in crisis mode when COVID started because everything changed almost immediately. And we just had to figure it all out. You know, how do you do church when there's risk of spreading disease? How, how do you do school when you have to be far apart? How do you do things like go for groceries or go get your hair cut or whatever it is? We all had to figure that stuff out and we found ourselves in crisis mode. And he, she says one thing that's great about that is we can find in ourselves a strength that we didn't know was there. And that happens not just with things like pandemics, but if you've had someone close to you pass away, especially if they pass away suddenly, people often describe kind of a numbness that goes along. That's crisis mode. And in it, we can find a strength that we didn't know we had, but she says the problem is it's not a good long-term solution. If you're in crisis mode for, for not days but weeks, or not weeks but months, or not months but years, it takes a toll on you, and it takes a toll on your emotional health, and more importantly, it takes a toll on your spiritual health, because she says what can happen is we can develop this superhero syndrome where we feel, feel like we got to have it all together, and, and we got to keep it all together for the people around us, and so we do things like suppress our emotions, push them down, push them in, don't listen to them. In fact, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? So we don't have time for that stuff. The problem is when they get pushed down, they do one of two things, just like a pressure cooker in your kitchen. It's either going to explode or it's going to vent the pressure somehow. And when we don't do it in a biblical way, when we don't vent the pressure in a biblical way, we do it in a sinful way. It ends up venting through things like irritability or anger at those that we love. It ends up venting through withdrawing from our relationships and withdrawing two things like our vices, alcohol, addiction, things like that. And the other thing that superhero syndrome can do to us, especially if we're pretty good at it, is we can convince ourselves that we've got everything under control. We can tell ourselves over and over again, don't worry, you got this. And unfortunately, very often and very subtly, the subtext of you got this or I got this is so you don't need him. You can do it yourself. The problem is you can't bypass pain. You can't keep pushing it down. You can't keep doing it all on your own. You can't bypass pain. And notice that in Psalm 6, David does not bypass pain. He processes it. And he processes pain to God in prayer. 
See, David's suffering in Psalm 6. That's pretty easy to see when we read the words together. But if you notice, he's suffering from a number of different things, all of which we can kind of relate to. Psalm 6 verse 1 says this, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, discipline me not in your wrath. He's suffering from the effects of his own sin. He's also probably suffering from sickness. In verses 4 through 5, he says, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? Whatever's wrong with David, we think it's probably sickness, but whatever it is, he feels like death is right around the corner. And he's also suffering at the hands of his enemies. This is uh, verse 8, the first part of verse 8. He says, depart from me, all you workers of evil. David's pretty upfront about what he's thinking and about what he's feeling in this prayer to God. He processes pain before God. And it's easy, kind of with our background and with some of the stuff that we say to each other and some of our, our attitudes that we have about, about mental toughness, it's easy to sort of see David as kind of a weakling in Psalm 6. But he's not at all if you read the rest of Scripture. In fact, uh, this is from 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 through 36. This is the scene where he's talking to King Saul, and he's about to go up and face Goliath, and Saul's like, dude, you're a little kid. How are you going to kill the big giant out there? And this is what David says. Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a bear or a lion came and took a sheep from the flock, a bear or a lion came and took the sheep from the flock, I went out after it and I attacked it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it rose up against me, I grabbed it by its mane, and I struck it, and I killed it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them since he's defied the armies of the living God. That's a pretty tough thing to say when you're facing a nine-foot-tall giant. But I guess if you've faced lions and bears and you've killed them, it's not that big of a deal. The point is, David is no weakling. David is no weakling. Superhero syndrome would have been a very easy thing for David to fall into. But in Psalm 6, when he's suffering, he doesn't say, I got this. He doesn't say, this is just the way it is. He doesn't say, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. He goes to God and he says, I don't like this. I'm suffering, God. I'm crying myself to sleep and I'm suffering. And here's some of the words he uses. Listen to these words. He says he's languishing. He says, my bones are troubled. He says, I'm moaning and I'm weeping. I am in grief and I am in weakness. I don't remember those in any Marvel movies. Those are not superhero syndrome kind of words. Those aren't the kind of words from somebody who's got it all together. But they are the kind of words that we could probably use for our own lives pretty often. I mean, have you felt that way before? Every single Christian since David has, and everyone before him too. Maybe you felt that way a long time in the past. Maybe it's something that you remember tonight as we're talking about this. Maybe you're feeling that way right now. Maybe you're sitting here in this room feeling weak and languishing and troubled and grieved. Maybe you yourself are asking the thing, the thing that David asked, How long, O oh Lord? Those aren't the words of superheroes. 
They're the words of broken human beings like David who are desperate for a Savior. And what that means is those words from Psalm 6, they're words of honesty. They're words that tell it like it is before God. They're words that bring grief and process grief in front of the only one who does anything about it. Their words, by the way, they get used in my office pretty often by people who come in for pastoral counseling. Words like weakness and grief and pain and loss. Languishing, maybe not so much, but we could probably use that one too. You know, the thing about all counseling, and especially pastoral counseling, is like 85% of pastoral counseling is listening. And, And it happens pretty often when somebody comes into the office, and, you know, some of you have been there, Somebody comes into the office, uh, we'll sit down and talk, and, and somebody will just sort of spill what's going on. And before we even get to the Bible verses, people start to feel better. That's not to say the Bible verses are unimportant. In fact, the Bible verses are the most important part because that's how God speaks to us. That's what we carry out with us. That's what we ruminate on and feel better from. That's how God talks to us. But it is true that before we even get to the Bible verses, very often people feel a little bit better, and that's no accident. It's no accident. I think the reason that's true is because when you are listened to by a pastor or a friend or whoever it is, when you are listened to, it is a human representation, an imperfect human representation of what God does for you in prayer. Notice in this psalm, David doesn't really say anything about a solution. Nothing goes away, nothing changes. In Psalm 6, verse 9, though, there's this turn to the gospel. And here's what he says. Psalm 6, verse 9, The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. That's what David clings on to. See, the solution is that he's praying to a God who hears. That he's processing his pain with a God who hears. And let me tell you something about the one who hears. See, the one who hears, who David is praying to, who we prayed to tonight, the one who hears is one who prayed as we do. This is Matthew 26, verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell on his face in Gethsemane and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus prayed the way we do. Jesus prayed in the middle of things like this and said, Lord, I don't like what's going on. Father, I don't like this. I don't want to do this. But not my will, but yours be done. The one who hears our prayer has has had a troubled soul like we do. So this is from our gospel reading for today. John 12, this is verses 27 and 28. Now, and this is Jesus quoting Psalm 6, by the way. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Did you hear the last part of both of those verses? Father, glorify your name. Not my will, but yours be done. See, the other thing about the one who hears is he's the one who obeyed. The one who, who became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And the one who did that for us. The one who did something about our pain and suffering. And when you think about that, think about this. 
Jesus was troubled in Matthew 26, and he was troubled in John chapter 12, not just because he was looking forward to the cross, not just because the crucifixion was right around the corner. He was troubled because he felt the grief that you feel, the grief that you feel when you lost a a parent or a brother or a sister or a child, the pain of the grief that you feel when you're pushing through whatever it is you're pushing through, sickness or suffering, the pain and grief that you feel whenever you feel it, Jesus felt that too. And here's how we know that. From the best chapter of the Bible, Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. Did you hear that first part? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. See, prayer goes to the only one who can do and has done anything about it. Prayer, when it goes to God, it doesn't ignore the shadow of death that you're walking through whenever you're walking through it. As if, you know, ignoring it and pretending it wasn't there would make us strong or something like that. No, prayer, biblical prayer, it acknowledges the weakness and the anxiety and the troubled soul that we find when we look inside of ourselves. Prayer isn't prayer that says, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Prayer is what says, God, I can't do this, so you're going to have to. Prayer looks to the one who bore our griefs, the one who feels the pain that we're going through, the one who weeps with us at our side, and by the way, the one who overcame all those things as well. In other words, prayer looks to Jesus. And says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds, keeping them steadfast in Christ Jesus. Amen. At this week's time...